Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin. So kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering with all the up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football right at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates, stats, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and the Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you the access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember, use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by BetOnline, where the game starts. Also, State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. Check out the latest Lockdown U and Lawn Boys merchandise now. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. And if you're looking for the perfect beer for Penn State football season, we've got you covered with the State IPA. Special thanks to our friends at Funk Brewing for creating the best tailgate and game day beer for Nittany Lion fans. State IPA is available now at beer distributors, grocery stores, Funk's tap rooms, plus select bars and restaurants. Visit www.funkbrewing.com slash beers slash state dash IPA to learn where and how you can get state IPA. Check out the link in the description of this podcast for more information. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. It is whiteout week. Number seven, Penn State hosting number 24, Iowa, this Saturday night live on CBS at Beaver Stadium. It should be a spectacular atmosphere, and I'm very fortunate to be with somebody who has experienced the origins of the whiteout. Uh, Depending on who you talk to, the whiteout can date back to 2002 or 2004, officially in 2007. Like, There's a lot of different stories out there, the student section-only ones, but uh, you, Justin, have had the chance to play in the one, I guess like you can call it, quote unquote, unofficially in 2005 when Tom Bahali flipped Troy Smith on his head, Penn State versus Ohio State. That was a raucous atmosphere. And then in 2007, that's the first one that's dubbed officially branded as a stadium wide whiteout in the history of Penn State. And that was against old Jimmy Clausen. And the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, I was a freshman in the student section at the time, front row for D-Wheels Express, and you picked off old Jimmy that day. What are, what are your memories of the whiteout? We had to get them back that game because they got us pretty good up in South Bend the year before. But the initial thing is that first year we played Ohio State 05. I remember that being electric. And I don't now I'm just thinking back to it. I don't know if it was because of the whiteout in the student section and it had like a unique look where everybody was dressed in white or it was just the hype going into the game where we were undefeated just beat minnesota and it was a different type of energy in state college at the time but for whatever reason that 
was probably the wildest whiteout game of my experience because I don't know if it was, again, the Ohio State thing and how people erupted when we won. And it's just funny because I always thank Tomba on that sack because I was beat on a deep post. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Troy Smith was looking at. It was Antonio Holmes. I was like, oh, you know what I mean? He made the sack. But that's why we need pass rushers to help with the lockdown you on the back end. It never, mm-hmm. it's, it's never it's people helping mistakes. people. It's a, it's a team game for a reason. I, I would, so I was still in high school in 05, but I attended that game. I got snuck into the student section because you got to like show your ticket and everything. So my brother and his friend snuck me into the student section. And I remember seeing from the ground level, Troy Smith flipped on his head and the, the, the stadium just went berserk because he would have thought Tamba had killed him. It was insane. I think they registered an earthquake an earthquake at um what's the building that has the geology thing in there but i think it was like a registered earthquake right there on campus i mean me. no at least i told that story when i was recruiting so that's a that's a good you. pitch that's a good pitch <laughs> my my friends were like once that happened they're like you need to get out of here because they're probably gonna rush the field and people are gonna get trampled so that was great advice and then oh seven getting to be a full-fledged student camping out at part of paternoville now nittanyville is just so many great memories and you especially got to be hands-on or at least in those first steps with uh, Guido D'Elia. Not a, not too many people know that name, but he's been instrumental in Penn State football, the the event, Beaver Stadium, et cetera, for years. Can you explain Guido's part in all this? Yeah, Guido was one of the you know marketing, branding masterminds behind just that transformation at Penn State during that time because it was, you gotta remember me and Derek were coming in as the highly touted freshman. It was a lot of different coverage from the recruiting services and even just the the, the losing season and coming into that 05 year, even from the standpoint of us talking as freshmen, like it was Guido that one, was the one that was championing it and seeing the like the foreseeable future of like, hey, how does this have an imprint on the program and how we move forward and transcend with times? And so he was always instrumental in being the innovator of how we package up the product of Penn State and in a very authentic, curated way. So I always respected Guido and his input and how he did things. So shout out to Guido. And it's maybe the most intimidating atmosphere in all of college football and maybe one of the greatest atmospheres in all atmospheres in all sports, period. So it's becoming just iconic. It's an absolute spectacle. It's it's now a destination in college sports where I mean, whether I'm working at the XFL, working in different places and people are just out, I mean, if they're out how of How do work, we duplicate want, it? Right. No, not even how we duplicate it, but then it's just like, yo, can I get to a Penn State game? No, but this is it's like a destination. It's like, hey, my, my school's playing at the whiteout. I love to, you know, come up there for games. I'm like, have you ever been to state college? Never in my life, but I want to check out a whiteout game. I think that's cool. <laughs> it's it's interesting to me because it was a number of months ago we were talking about when this game was announced that it was going to be Iowa versus Penn State as the whiteout game. And it was initially met with a lot of disappointment. A lot of Penn State fans wanted the whiteout game for the season to be Penn State versus Michigan, which is in November. That's been a part of Fox's big noon kickoff slate. And I want to touch a little bit more on how the networks affect college football a little bit later on. But that was a, a reason why it's tough to do a whiteout at noon uh, Eastern time. So you understand that. And even Penn State did a, a sneaky whiteout, the stripe out against West Virginia, which I thought was a really interesting kind of wrinkle to be like, hey, we're giving it to you, but it's a little bit different. And honestly, I think this whiteout, this support from the fan base is coming. It, it's timely. This is very timely for Penn State. And it's not to say that it's been doom and gloom, but there were things against Illinois that I think you and I talked about and a lot of Penn State fans talked about is that 
they need to get cleaned up. And this test against Iowa, the right things that Penn State needs to fix that you and I have discussed in terms of stopping the run, uh, being a little bit better on offense in terms of moving the sticks on third down, having more explosive plays, getting more out of the running game, being a little bit more effective in the passing game. Iowa is going to test all those things. This is one of the best defenses in America. And as James Franklin said in his press conference this week, for the last 20 some odd years, Iowa does what Iowa does defensively. You know exactly what you're going to get when you go out there. Can you explain in a nutshell from your perspective what it is Iowa does defensively? Iowa, they play sound coverage. I mean, I'll say sound coverage, but sound zone schematics on defense where they just play really sound football up front with the front seven and just discipline on the back end. And then they make the plays that come to them. I mean, just from the past years, they've played, I mean, corners, Desmond King, different guys in the NFL for making a lot of plays, but essentially not to say being in the right place at the right time, but they're just very disciplined players just in the terms of how they recruit and the profile of player they recruit. They're one of the few programs that are still a developmental program. So they'll take two, three-star guys that have a lot of different intangibles, whether they're highly coachable kids, extremely tough, you know, high motor type of guys, and they produce in their program. And that's one thing that you always can bank on from an Iowa team, that they're going to be well-coached, they're going to be tough, and they're going to make the routine plays routinely. That's something that I think is under undershot or understated in football or how valuable that is when there's certain things that are just sewn up. So, I mean, they scored 41 points last week, but I know there's a uh, a contract clause in the office of coordinators. Um, Brian Ferentz. On, yeah, yes. Brian Ferentz to have, what is it, over 25 points? <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's the first game of the year that they've done that. I think they had 24 and 21. I forget exactly what that Yeah, so out. the contract clause is what? He has to score over 25 points, average 25 points as an offense, or he gets fired, basically. Yeah, they won against Utah State 24-14. They beat Iowa State on the road 20-13, to won the Cyhawk. That's their big rivalry of the year. And then they just beat Western Michigan 41-10. to But if you listen to a lot of media outlets, even that victory against Western Michigan was cause for concern for a lot of Iowa fans. Uh, l- let's start in terms of what Penn State does offensively versus what Iowa does defensively. This is another very talented front seven. And, and you talked about it in terms of what they do at defensive back. I remember so many games against Iowa where they created turnovers simply by discipline. They do not have the best athletes on the field. It was something that we saw for Penn State against Illinois, Penn State's secondary And we talked about it wasn't a lot of deception. It was just Penn State's athletes were better than Illinois. And a lot of those guys in the secondary just made plays, those innate plays in terms of going up and getting the football and just being excellent at catching the ball, period. Iowa doesn't necessarily do that, but they will be in the right place at the right time 99 times out of 100, which is rare at the college level. Um, Defensive back Cooper DeGene is somebody that uh, James Franklin pointed out in his press conference. He's also their kick returner, is somebody who's kind of a do-it-all dude. Uh, Their safety, Quinn Schultz, is outstanding. And then I expect to see defensive ends, defensive tackles, and linebackers just clogging up the middle for Penn State. Uh, and, And it was something you talked about against Illinois. Illinois was committed to putting eight, nine in the box. Do you expect to see the same thing from the Hawkeyes? Typically, they play very sound up front, and they play some like a, a cover four, cover like a split safety zone behind them, either a cover cover four or cover two. And sometimes they obviously go man, I'm just going through all the coverages. 
but they typically play with seven guys in the box and the way that they play, whether it's a lot of stunts and they typically have that stud defensive lineman. Like when, I mean, one time it's like, I mean, Claiborne killed us or just different aspects of tough games in the Penn state past. They've had one guy that kind of showed up and was that lead guy on the front seven, but on the back end, like you said, the way Penn state does, it's kind of hard to say because that identity piece hasn't been locked in yet. So like the main thing is like establishing, I mean, I'm sounding like a broken record, but establishing a run against a team like Iowa, because if you do not establish the run, that is not a team that you want to go one dimensional against where they're sending different blitzes and you're trying to just kind of throw in it out there to see what happens. So from that standpoint, I mean, it's going to be up to the receivers and the running backs. I mean, running receivers make creating separation and making plays and taking some pressure off of Drew Aller and then establishing a run with the running backs to opening up those different avenues and the holes in the zone, especially behind the linebackers um, uh, for the tight ends to get involved as well, because that's a key piece and attack area on Iowa's defense. And we just remember the game winning touchdown was that in 17, eight and 17 with Juwan Johnson, the like nice skinny post. Mm just how that whole game went against Saquon and the middle linebacker for them. That's the type of game that you're going to be expecting. Josie Jewell. Yeah. Josie Jewell, there you go. From this Penn State Iowa team. I just think they play and match up well just historically against Penn State. I, I, I like to give credit on how universities match up because they Prince and James know how to coach against one another. They know their weaknesses. They know their tendencies and just continue to stay on top of that, I think will be key for Penn State. James even touched on that in his press conference saying that the scheduling is quote-unquote random. It's funny how <laughs> you see that draw consistently, but it's always been a competitive game. It's continued to be a competitive game the entire time that Franklin's been at Penn State. I was a competitive program. Like he's like, that's a program. Yeah. Like there's just certain schools where you play against, like even we mentioned I, Illinois last week where it's like you play – them in champagne that's a tough game regardless of who's on the field like just context around football the atmosphere and i was one of those games where it's tough to play there at canuck stadium and it's hard to play in beaver stadium against them in general just because because of how well coached they are the type of players that they have just extremely gritty resilient they're not going to quit so you have to put them away so there's not like a situation where you're waiting for them to make a mistake i think the angst that comes against iowa is that you have to beat them Right. And you have to continue to beat them into submission because they're not going to stop. And so offense and defense. Right. So when we talk about how the Penn State offense will attack them again, opening up the whole the whole offense where they're not one dimensional and continue to can pass the ball and spread the spread the field a little bit with the running backs and the receivers. I think that will be key in getting Drew Aller back on rhythm to when those explosive plays and getting out ahead. To your point about explosive plays, that's something that James Franklin addressed in his press conference, specifically run plays, but just overall. He said that coming into this game, got to eliminate penalties, both pre-snap and post-snap, got to start faster than they did against Illinois, get points off turnovers. And I know a lot of people are like, yeah, they did get points off of five turnovers. Like they did, but they didn't get a ton in, in the grand scheme of things and wanted to see the offense be more explosive than they were against Illinois. Franklin had a great quote in particular as you talked about explosive plays, run plays specifically. He said, quote, to get more explosive run plays, we have to consistently show that we can throw the ball over their heads. Although Drew has shown what he's capable of, people are still going to say we can't allow Katron and Nick to beat us. 
I think that's the approach you have to take until there's more evidence. Once we prove on a consistent basis that we can take advantage of that in the passing game, now people are having to make a choice because there's enough evidence of both. It's been very obvious the first three weeks that their defensive game plan is to stop our running game. That's a combination of every position showing we can consistently beat you in the passing game. What are your thoughts? Again, it comes down to football is a game of matchups. So he's 100% correct, and I agree with him. Like I said, if I was playing defensive coordinator against Mike Urizic uh, and, um, and Drew, I, I would stack the box and play man on the outside and make those receivers beat me one-on-one and see if the linemen hold up and just send a couple of pressures at them and just see how that goes. And with that, and see if we can contain the run in that, in that miss. But I would commit to stopping the run because – it's another thing. It's a whole different ball game. You can't, there's not a good defense. If you get in four to four to six yards a clip, like there's regardless of what you call, there's nothing that can help. And I, we saw last week when Penn state played Illinois and into the second half where Illinois was forced to throw the ball. And we start seeing a couple of pressures happen. Then we see all the turnovers happen. Then you see lockdown. You come to a formation and give five picks or you know, five turnovers in, in the game, but that's because they became one dimensional and you can start, calling defenses not to just stop the run and play gaps. I don't know. You can like call opportunistic defenses where there's like weak side blitzes and sending corners and doing all different types of things. So that's what you would like to see. I mean, from Penn state moving forward is making those plays, making those explosive plays, especially throwing the ball to lighten up the box. And you can lean on your workhorses like Katron and Nick to create that. I want to say just that culture in the game where it's just a level of, I mean, ground and pound to an extent, like pound mm-hmm. the rock. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, he's completely right about not showing the explosive abilities on a consistent basis to where it would afraid uh, or put fear in a defensive coordinator to back up at all. So, I mean, it's the onus is on Penn State at this at this point where it's like there's some blood in the water, like to say in football, where like whatever you put on film, there's blood in the water and the sharks attack that. The areas in which people are attacking Penn state is making sure that you stop the, stop the run and run the ball. So like just coming to the fundamentals of football, I think it's huge for the receivers to have some explosiveness um, this Saturday, especially the night game talk about atmosphere and how that kind of changes the whole flow of the situation. Cause the one thing that can nullify a whiteout is not being able to stop the run and getting the, and uh, not being able to run the football. So those two things will keep the, crowd quiet and converting on third down that can be a killer for uh for fans uh especially <laughs> iowa i think is about 34 percent conversion rate on third down for the year penn state's at about 43 percent offensively so a little bit better there but things were not great against illinois you want to see some of those things get cleaned up altogether. uh you talked about the receivers uh drops were an issue against illinois and also we have to remember it is that Harrison Wallace was not there. Uh, We're recording this Tuesday. I haven't heard one way or the other just yet whether or not he's going to be good to go uh, this Saturday night. Not sure what you have heard, but he was questionable, did not play against Illinois. No, I think you hit on it with the drops because it's one thing having isolated drops, but when you're trying to get into a rhythm, when we we mentioned the offense being choppy at the beginning, a lot of those drops had a lot to do with it. I mean, you see it in the body language of Drew. He drops like, Come on, man. We got to yeah. have that. And it's just a matter of getting that rhythm because like it, it, having that identity is having successful plays doing 
essentially the same thing and you're feeling comfortable in it and you can't get that comfort. And like, this is only Drew's fourth game starting, but there's high expectations where he has to perform and the players around him have to perform at a certain level for us to achieve those aspirations that we have. I want to cycle back to that horrific 2021 game at Iowa, which a lot of fans, unfortunately, probably remember Sean Clifford gets injured. Taquan Roberson subs into the game, and unfortunately, Taquan was just not prepared for the moment. It was a really ugly loss there uh, at Kinnick. This is a different situation. However, I point that out because before Sean Clifford went down, granted, he had two early interceptions, but he then very quickly got it together and was picking apart the zone of Iowa. And it was something that was talked about for most of Sean Clifford's time at Penn State was that against zone, he was very good. Now, I I don't necessarily know if that is uh, something that gets transmitted from Sean Clifford to Drew Auer by proxy of Clifford being a mentor to Drew Auer, or if maybe that's built into the way Mike Yurcich's offense, its base concepts, operates from what you've seen out of Mike Yersich, would you expect Drew Hour to have more success against the zone defense? Yes, I would. I mean, best, just based on TRC and the levels concept, I mean, you just to break it down a little bit is when we talk about high lows and levels in on, on the, on the route tree, the whole purpose is to put defenders in a bind. Like we're going to cover back the short, short, I mean, you're covering areas where you're putting different defenders in a bind. So someone in front of them or someone behind. And like how you play that is how the quarterback reads the play. Oh, safety's back, hit them, coming forward. If the linebacker's back, hit it up. If the linebacker's forward, get behind it. So it's about making those decisions constantly. So like, again, Iowa's mentality is like, hey, let's make them be perfect for 20 plays in a row. Let's see if they can have this rhythm and then not mess up because we're not going to mess up or we're just going to go like approach it like that. So I think it comes down. I don't know if it's Mike Yurcich's offense that is great against zone, but it comes down to the offense. I mean, for the quarterback playmaking, uh, not playmaking, but play decision making abilities within the plays and the time that he has to complete the passes. Because I mean, in zone man or whatever the case may be, if he doesn't have time to throw the ball, it doesn't matter. Like that's when bad decisions come in. That's when you're having to get rid of the ball quick. You can't really see as he. He break in as he's staying back, and that's when things happen. So it all starts up front to answer your question about any type of success against his own defense. And to credit Illinois, that defensive line, that front seven, they got pressure on Drew Auer. They made him uncomfortable. They created his worst completion percentage as a starter, I think roughly 48%. It was a difficult day against Illinois. However, it was something I said on the recap episode for the Illinois game is that the huge positive in this game against Illinois was Drew Aller did not turn the ball over and he put the ball in places that yes, his completion percentage wasn't great, but he put it in places that either his guy was getting it or no one was getting it. I am thrilled that that is his floor, so to speak as a starting quarterback, as a true sophomore, that is excellent to hear Uh, in regard to who he can get the ball to. We talked about it a little bit in the Illinois game, and there's been a lot of discussion about the first three games is wanting to see more incorporation from the tight ends. And I don't think it's from lack of trying, but you know, James Franklin talked about the tight ends in his press conference, and he was like, Our guys, you can't put into categories as just 
you know, a blocking tight end, for instance. The, there's no Kyle Brady on the field, for instance, and credit to Kyle Brady could catch the ball very, as well, <laughs> but a huge – he was essentially a tackle when you think about it, but he could go and catch the ball. I loved Kyle Brady. Um, but still – these guys you can't put in a box. James Franklin is like uh, James Franklin has said that they are mismatches in regard to that zone defense that Iowa likes to run. Do you expect to see Warren and Johnson incorporated more because of that? Absolutely, because about I mean, when you play zone, the whole thing that beats zones is finding the holes in the zone. And that's a lot of times where Titans have a ability to do whether they're doing sit-down routes or a lot of their routes are breaking off of leverage when you have like those. Uh, like Liam Clifford's where they're playing slot receivers and you have option routes. A lot of those have to do with um, reading and playing the zone the right way. And I think this is a type of defense where they can come into handy, not, not even a safety valve, but finding those open holes in the zone. And that's another thing where you like to see with the receivers, whether it's extended pockets, Drew moving in, in, in the, uh, in the backfield, throwing off platform throws, but moving around and finding the open space in the defense. And that's, there's a risk reward factor with that where you're not hitting passes on time in the zone. But a lot of times those are where explosive plays come. I like that you mentioned Liam Clifford. He could potentially be an X factor in this game specifically because he is so good at finding those spaces in the zone. Not the fastest or strongest dude on the field, but that benefit of working with his brother for so long and understanding defenses, he could be a big help. And also, I, I believe in what Malik McLean can be. And, and it was a rough game against Illinois. I'm sure he would be the first person to say so. And James Franklin uh, spoke glowingly of him once again in his press conference on Tuesday. And you and I know about James Franklin is that he doesn't talk about guys in one way or another if he's not trying to accomplish something. And the fact that he was reinforcing the work ethic, the attitude, the the production that Malik McLean has put out, special teams and offense. It, it tells you that was a little bit of love publicly to be like, hey, we believe in you despite what happened against Illinois. And a guy the size of Malik, he can have a lot of success, it seems like, against this Hawkeye secondary. No, he, he yeah, Malik, he has, he has a nice skill set. And I just like, I mean, his makeup in terms of his – I mean – how can I say it? Like his stature, right? Like he reminds me just of how he looks and how he moves as I'm going the blast from the past. But uh, Irv Johnson, or, or what was Irv? Irv, uh, Irving Johnson. Wait, what's, I forget Irv's name. He was just their receiver with Jawan Johnson. But Irv, okay. call him Swerve, whatever. But he's in the NFL now. Like he yes. left Penn State or whatever the case may be. But just those 6'4 type, 6'3 type of guys that have – unique movement abilities and like when they're dropping balls just to make sure that you know that they have talent and like that you said we still believe in you because we need players like Malik McClain to produce the rest of um, the season especially coming up in like you said a possession receiver or a go-to guy when we need those 12 13 14 yard catches chunk plays throughout the game that someone's there to catch those and I mean drops are critical and hurt uh, the rhythm of the drive. So you just don't, you don't want to have that in the offense at all, but he's definitely a key component of this offense being successful. Irvin Charles, was that who you were? Charles, to? Irv Charles. I was get so used to calling these guys by their nicknames and I'm like, man, what's his real guy? I was like, I'm pretty sure. And I was like, are you thinking Puff Johnson on the basketball no, no, team? No, I'm no, like, I'm, I'm, no. thinking, I'm thinking Irv. Yep. Irv Charles. Irv. Well, shout out to Irv. I mean, shout out to Irv. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the NFL now, but 100%. <laughs> 
Penn State fans, Smack Apparel has the best gear for talking smack on game day. Head to smackapparel.com today and check out their Let There Be White tee for the whiteout game against Iowa at Beaver Stadium. Also, there's Drink Up, Roar On, Saturdays We Are, and you can still get a Save a Couch Beat WVU shirt. If you're watching this on YouTube, scan the QR code on the screen to take you to the website instantly on your phone. Visit smackapparel.com and use our promo code STATE10 at checkout for 10% off your order. That's S-T-A-T-E-1-0. Again, that's smackapparel.com, promo code STATE10 at checkout. Why wear boring when you can wear smack? Are you looking for undeniably good hair and beard care? Then Maestro's Classic is perfect for you. Maestro's has beard washes, beard oils, beard butters, plus hair gels, pomades, and now body washes. It's one brand for every man. Visit maestrosclassic.com. That's M-A-E-S-T-R-O-S classic.com and use our promo code STATE20. That's S-T-A-T-E-2-0 at checkout for 20% off your order. Maestro's Classic, crafting a better year. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's, uh, let's flip to the defensive side of the ball for Penn State against Iowa. Huge thing coming into this game. You and I have talked about it. The identity of this Iowa offense for a long time has been play-action pass, not asking the quarterback to do a whole lot, maybe 20 to 25 attempts a game, and a power punch-you-in-the-mouth running game that you talked about last week is something Penn State has got to get organized on after that Illinois game. So this is a really good test. However, oddly enough, they only seem to get clicking when they're with a rushing attack against Western Michigan this last game out 41 to 10 they seem to get things going in the first two weeks it seemed like the passing game was doing all right Uh, they suffered a major injury they lost their number one tight end Lachey who has got NFL prospects written all over him and he's gone for the season wish him the best of luck in his recovery because he has a bright future ahead of him and and the other layer to this uh, Justin is that their starting quarterback Michigan transfer Cade McNamara, who has beaten Penn State at Beaver Stadium two years ago. He's suffering a quad injury right now. His right quad, his right leg, his plant leg. Can you articulate a little bit of some of the struggles that he's enduring? Because the, he's reported that as of last week going into the Western Michigan game, he was feeling better, but there was evidence on tape to the contrary. Any lower extremities on a skill position player is detrimental, like because it becomes mental, right? Like everything that you do from a just a muscle memory standpoint, it's no longer that same memory because it, like it hurts. Like so, there's a hitch or there's a thought in doing all of your routine movements. So for a quarterback on their plant leg, whether it's their quad, knee, calf, whatever that may be, as you're backing up and you're getting ready to plant, move around you're you're generating force from the ground in different manners depending on how healthy you are. So I mean it can definitely mess with you from the standpoint of how you deliver your 
your three-step drops or if they're put them in the, the gun more often versus under center because so he doesn't have to move and maybe he's already has space from the line of scrimmage and just depending on how healthy he is but it can have tremendous effect on how you play especially starting from between the airs the uh, the the ability of Cade McNamara, I, I thought very highly of coming into this season. Initially, I I really thought he was going to be a difference maker for them. I, I thought a huge upgrade in talent at quarterback last time out against Western Western Michigan. However, nine of nineteen, one hundred and three yards, two touchdowns and two picks. Attempted a few carries here and there, but really just could not get things going. Uh, so far in the season, fifty three percent completion percentage. Uh, 5.9 yards per completion, four touchdowns, and three interceptions. He's been sacked six times and a long of 36. Uh, but looking at the rushing attack, this is an Iowa team that seemed to get things organized against Western Michigan. Again, inferior FBS competition. LaShawn Williams, 12 carries for 145 yards, wasn't even the incumbent starter coming into this season. Yet he seems to be the next in the assembly line of outstanding, solid Iowa running backs. Like it's it's different than like when, when you and I look at, for instance, like Wisconsin every other year. It's an NFL draft pick from the running back position. Michigan State, same thing. Iowa doesn't necessarily have that top flight talent, but you can rely on it every single year that whomever they hand the ball off to is going to be tough, safe with the football, and difficult to bring down. There's a lot of guys that can get involved in the running game. How do you feel about Penn State's ability to stop what Iowa does on the ground? I mean, as time will tell, right? I think that's the one one area on Penn State's defense that has been questionable is stopping the run between the tackles. So hopefully you would, see, you would think they would check that box this week. But until it's done, I'm I'm hard. I'm not the guy that's going to say, "Hey, we got to seal it up," because that's something that they do well, and that's something that they build their identity around. Where it's just like running the football. So, the success that even West Virginia had at the first game of the season, or even the second game when a guy splits it for a 64 yard run, mm-hmm. Delaware. situations Delaware situations like that. I mean, they make me a little nervous or bring some angst going against a team like Iowa because they will be committed to run in the football until they don't have to like the And so with that being said, they, they recruit well up front and on the offensive line. And again, just nasty identity from just a, like a, like a dirt dog type of team. And so that's why their run game is effective the way that it is. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a challenge for Penn state to stop. Time will tell. I can't say that I'm a hundred percent confident just based on what we've seen in the past three weeks on the run game. Uh, run defense or defensive run game um, from Penn State. Here's the head scratcher about this Iowa team, Justin, is for decades it's been known as a powerhouse offensive line factory. Every year there's a dude going in the top three rounds from Iowa. And it's not that there isn't you know that unique individual talent within this offensive line. But when you hear reports for three consecutive weeks that there's issues in pass protection and there's issues in running the football, it's kind of like with Iowa, like it's it's really perplexing. Part of me sits back and I'm like, has the NIL game finally affected the bread and butter of these Midwest schools? I think the transfer portal has more so. I mean, obviously, NIL and transfer portal go hand in hand, but a lot of times where 
it becomes college free agency and everyone is trying to upgrade their roster. You look to see where are the best players that are next up that can get on this team to fill this hole or upgrade us from a playoff um, from a, a bowl game team to a playoff type of team. So you're seeing better players get from those programs get a uh, get plucked every now and then. I mean, whether it's from your your Colorados or the new coaches that are coming uh, to new programs in the off season. Yeah, I think that is having a more of a hand on the parity in college football, I think is what we're seeing, where it's just you, you don't necessarily know what the personnel looks like until these guys are playing, at least through half of the season. And I think the way that the coaches are going to prepare is going to continue to shift as well. One thing coming out of the Illinois game, and tell me if you agree with this or not, the first half especially, Penn State tackling defensively tackling the ball carrier was not great. And it took until that third quarter, fourth quarter for the defense to really get organized. How do you address that as a coaching staff within the week going into a game against Iowa, which is just a very physical football team on offense? You know, it's, it's funny you say that. I think the night game will have something to do with that. Guys are going to be jacked up. 7.30 start is a lot different than 11 a.m. Not that that's an excuse to miss tackles, but I just know how wired my nervous system was for games before noon versus a night game. I mean, you're ultra alert. You're waiting all day. And, I mean, it comes down to at this point, it's going to be their fourth game. So, like, their timing and just their contact points and understanding those different angles should tighten up as the season continues to go along. So being at home, night game, fourth game of the season, I think we should start seeing a turnaround in the type of tackles that are made and decrease in the missed tackles that we've seen in the previous weeks. One thing that was raised during the press conference with James Franklin this week, uh, a lot of stuff about statistics individually, but uh, something was brought up in regards to sacks created, especially by the big three, I'll call it Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, and Deny Dennis Sutton. You and I talked about Deny after the Illinois game, kind of like, hey, where is he? And these three players, Robinson, Isaac, and Dennis Sutton, have accounted for half of a sack thus far. James Franklin didn't seem to be worried about anything they're doing. He said they're doing everything we asked them to do. Some things just don't always show up in the box score. They don't necessarily get allotted to you. And the important thing is that you're doing what we ask you to do. Uh, and we discussed the pass rush for the Illinois game and, and games prior to that. Do you have any concern or do you see this maybe a, a breakout game against Iowa considering their offensive line has struggled with pass pro? You have to earn the ability to rush the passer. And that is by making them one-dimensional from stopping the run or getting up on offense to be able to pin your ears back and go after the quarterback. They haven't found themselves in that position too many times in this, even in the, in the season yet. Whereas, all right, we're having problems stopping the run a little bit. Okay, there's some success passing the ball. And a lot of times that the passes that have, they've been seeing have been short snap counts, right? Where it's two, 2.5 seconds, balls out. So even just the shots on goal when you think about getting sacks has been low. And I think that's low across college sports in general. So I think there's a, a balancing out when you're evaluating defensive linemen based on sacks in general, because it's, I mean, if you're not getting, if you're not beating guys on the first move consistently every single time on a pass run, when the guys can block three yards down the field, it's 
always it's kind of hard but when you talk about guys that are causing havoc and constantly making uh the quarterback feel the pressure i prefer that from a defensive line where you feel that necessarily always lends to the the stack call i mean the sack column but it more goes into like the pressure and just the havoc cause i mean just Look at, I mean, not to compare all these guys to Michael Parsons, but like the first game of the season, he had one sack, or I mean, he had one sack on the in the stack column. But if you watch the game, it's like, yo, he's a tear. He's all over the place. He's just just causing havoc, and that's what you want from your defensive lineman, I, I believe, in college until they earn the right to make them drop back and pass, and then that's when you can see some special pass rushing attempts, moves, blitzes from Abdul, blitzes. I mean, coming off the edge with Adisa and. Uh, DDS and all those good things, but you have to earn the ability to do that in college because just typical passes. You said the guy's throwing for five yards, a five yards per pass attempt. I mean, that's a three-step drop. That's a quick horizontal passing game, right? And there's not many sack attempts when that happens. So you just want to see them be more impactful throughout the whole game, not necessarily just in the sack call. I honestly think they're going to be able to get to Cade McNamara. I think the right quad injury specifically being able to plant, drive, and throw off that leg, and then especially trying to plant, drive, and evade off of that leg is going to be a real issue for him. I do not think he's 100% in that respect. The wide receivers for Iowa historically have not been a huge threat. They are very deep at tight end. You could argue they can rival what Penn State has at tight end. Frankly, it's basically tight end you at Iowa over the last 10 to 15 years. I was going to say, you can't sleep on their tight end production. Like They always have that, and I think that goes into their run game as well, to be able to put the tight end in the box and be able to run the ball with uh, those unicorn-type tight ends that can block and have passing um, – being a passing threat for them on the offense that that brings another dimension to their personnel that they typically run, which is like we used to call it tiger personnel. We have two tight ends, but they can run the football pass out of that. And it's a lot of quick game that comes out of those different type of sets with the ability of the big play from typically their tight ends, which have been their apex target. Um, in the previous year. So I think that injury to Luke this past week is is a pretty significant injury and probably piquing some uh, interest on why the run game has been choppy for them. Yeah, they, they have tight ends who can do everything. They can be inline blockers. They can go and catch the ball. Uh, Luke Lachey is lost for the season, but they still have Eric All, another transfer from Michigan, outstanding tight end. So the expectation is for him to step up, and they have plenty of other guys they can roll out there. Back to Penn State. Uh, <laughs> kickoff uh, is 7.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS, uh, live as a part of CBS's new coverage of the Big Ten. Uh, the line right now, depending on where you look, is Penn State by 14 and a half. So uh, that I, I think this is going to be one of those games that Franklin alluded to on Tuesday is that this is going to be one of those knockdown, drag out, Big Ten grinding games. I expect uh, a lot of competition from Iowa. Lastly, uh, James Franklin spoke glowingly of your stepfather, uh, Terry Smith, uh, this past week in his press conference. The associate head coach spoke glowingly of what he has done, not only from a recruiting standpoint, lockdown you, the defensive backs who shined last week against Illinois, but just what he is to James Franklin as a confidant, as a friend. Uh, hearing those comments, you know, I know you're biased and, and you and Terry have a wonderful relationship, but uh, what does it mean to hear those things? 
I mean, it's amazing. I think it's, it's sometimes understated how great of a coach he is, whether it's a team builder, program builder, and just having his intellect in the football space is extremely beneficial. So to hear him get his due credit is always exciting to hear because, like I said, he's in my whole career, he's the best coach that I've had, and I've played for a lot of great coaches. So and I don't say that lightly, and even with bias, like I judge coaches, I evaluate coaches, and he is – top two, three that I've been around in my whole career. And I've been around some top level coaches. So like to see him get the credit and seeing guys come through his tutelage, whether it's from the, uh, the recruiting process, the, the player development aspect, the player deployment guys going to the NFL and still having success under his tutelage. I mean, I was the best football player I was when he was my coach. So like even understanding those different aspects. And when I was at Penn State, he helped coach me there, right? Even when you saw um, in Scott's relationship or just that, that that uh, line stayed connected so to see that is amazing and i think it's long overdue and i think it's just the beginning and i think james franklin has appreciated terry for a long time which is oh, great, wonderful yeah, yeah. to hear those things publicly 100 yeah, that's what i yeah. meant yeah. Yeah. um thank you all so much for joining us like comment subscribe rate us let us know what you think about this game what are you excited about what are you worried about all those things Penn State versus Iowa number seven, hosting number 24 in a whiteout this Saturday. If you're going to the game, please wear white. Just do, just do It's the only color to wear. And if you're even at home, wear white just to be there in solidarity. So enjoy the game, guys. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter, at TheKing1 and at Tom Hannafin. State of State is presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.